Welcome to Insights Now, a series of conversations designed to shine a light of clarity on the complex world of investing. In our third season, we'll explore investing in a post-pandemic world. After a year and a half of COVID-19 dominating nearly every investment conversation, vaccine rollouts are now well underway and the global economy is recovering at a much faster pace than following past recessions. But as we emerge from the pandemic bunker, the financial landscape looks very different from when we went in. In this season, we take a wide-angle lens to the investment environment to discuss economic trends and long-term themes in markets and how COVID-19 has shaped them. Over the course of a dozen episodes, we'll speak with experts on a variety of topics in an attempt to provide some insight on investing for a post-pandemic world. Hello, I'm Stephanie Aliaga, a strategy analyst on a Market Insights team here at JPMorgan Asset Management. I'm usually in the background for these podcasts, helping prepare the content and guests, but today I'm going to lead a discussion where our very own Dr. David Kelly is the guest of the hour. For today's episode, we're focusing on a topic that seems to be in every conversation these days, crypto. What started out as a unique concept that appeals only to niche audiences has now become much more mainstream. Cryptocurrencies have seen enormous price appreciation over the last decade, but they've also seen large bouts of volatility. Most recently, news about regulatory crackdowns, environmental concerns, and greater tax scrutiny have led to heightened volatility in crypto assets. Meanwhile, large financial institutions, governments, and central banks have been launching new crypto products and services, lending more legitimacy to the space. So today, we're going to answer the question many investors are asking themselves. Should cryptocurrencies have a place in portfolios? For this conversation, I'm very glad to interview Dr. David Kelly, Chief Global Strategist for Jake Morgan Funds, and usually the host for this podcast series. David is one of the lead authors on a paper in the upcoming 2022 edition of our Long-Term Capital Market Assumptions. The paper is entitled Cryptocurrencies, Bubble Boom or Blockchain Revolution, and the latest edition will be available this November. So David, welcome to the guest seat on Insights Now. Thank you. So I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with Bitcoin, but let's start at the beginning. How is Bitcoin born and how does it work? So Bitcoin started actually in October 2008, and it came out of a technical white paper uh, written by an anonymous author who used the name Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, and uh, it really came out of the sort of uh, cryptography world. And the idea was to create an online payment system where you didn't need a trusted third party um, and you could have these sort of transactions uh, uh, from peer to peer without people, uh, without some central bank or central authority. Um, the idea was to make it somewhat democratic so anybody could download uh, the software. Um, and it also, the, the key thing was it made it very difficult to, or really impossible to um, somehow forge or uh, double count um, any tokens that you, you own. So it was a way of dealing with a number of problems in electronic private currency uh, and as I say, it, it started in October 2008. And since Bitcoin's creation as the first cryptocurrency using blockchain technology, thousands of new cryptocurrencies have been launched. How do these differ? It, well, yes, I think there are lots of differences uh, among cryptocurrencies. I think uh, essentially anybody can set one up. That's 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 why you end up with this proliferation. And a lot of people have made a lot of money uh, from these cryptocurrencies. Uh, if you're the um, issuer of the cryptocurrency, you immediately get what economists would call a seniorage rent because you know you're you whatever you hold on to yourself that's that's real wealth for you. Uh, so of course we've had a proliferation of these. Uh, some of these try to um, address some of the issues that uh, with Bitcoin, which of course is the, the most famous and original cryptocurrency. So some try to 
reduce the uh, environmental impact of uh, the um, of mining uh, coins. Um, some try to focus more on uh, the contracts and using blockchain technology for uh, more complicated transactions than just currency transactions. Uh, but all of them, I think, have you know they utilize blockchain technology. Uh, they're all private. The uh, issuer, original issuer, uh, gets some benefit from this. And then the question really is, you know, what are they actually worth? And should you, as an investor, uh, invest or speculate in any of them? So to your point, cryptocurrencies have received great popularity as speculative investments in recent years. Do you think they can actually achieve their fundamental goal of being a store of value and payment system? What limitations do they face in becoming widely adopted and accepted? I think the bar is very high because throughout human history, currencies have needed to be a stable source, uh, a store of value, a unit of account, and a medium of exchange. So you kind of knew what you had in your hand. Uh, and that allowed us to move past barter economics uh, to actually a modern um, market economy. Uh, that's what currencies do, but they have to be stable in value. That's the very first thing. And the contradiction inherent in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies is that people are speculating on them for capital gains. But if you think they are a currency, those gains should not be available because they can only operate as a currency if they are stable in value and they're only useful or attractive as an asset if they go up in value. Uh, so I think that that is part of the problem. And then the second part of the problem is uh, you have to, for a currency to be useful, everybody's got to accept it. Uh, you know, if I've got a credit card, I don't want to be uh, have you know uh, only two stores in New York accept it. I kind of like every store in New York to accept it, and the same thing with a currency. So um, you have to for a cryptocurrency to to work. Not only does it have to be stable, which knocks all the speculators out, um, but it also has to be widely accepted and it has to eff effectively be a better store of value, medium of exchange, and unit of account than the U.S. dollar. And that's a very very high bar uh, to to cross. So I think. These currencies will, or these uh, assets, will always have a problem um, gaining, you know, traction as currencies. And do you think there are any solutions to these issues? Well, there are potentially some. I mean, one of the problems with Bitcoin is that uh, because of the way it's mined, because of the way it verifies transactions, it's actually quite slow in terms of conducting transactions. Now, that has a lot to do with needing verification across the network. But if you uh, there are ways of perhaps doing speedier verification or having verification by a smaller subset uh, of Bitcoin nodes. So th there may be ways of speeding speeding that up. Um, I think there are uh, ways of dealing with some of the environmental effects, um, perhaps using uh, proof of stake rather than proof of work. Uh, the uh, But the fundamental issue of making it a currency is really difficult because it needs a, a transition from a a period where people are using it as a speculative asset to a period where people are bored by Bitcoin. It's just what happens to be in their wallet and that or their electronic wallet, and that's what they use for transactions. And it's hard for me to see how you do that without first seeing an almighty bust in Bitcoin as all the speculators leave and the price falls. Mm. That makes sense. Let's shift gears a bit and talk about investing in crypto. Crypto is the newest asset class on the block, and stories of people making a lot of money on it make it seem very attractive. But from an asset allocation perspective, how might crypto fit into a portfolio? What are some of its limitations? First of all, they're looking for alternative assets. I think a lot of plain vanilla investing in U.S. stocks and bonds 
uh, looks like the returns from that may not be great going forward. Uh, and of course, you're always looking to diversify a portfolio. And cryptocurrency is another asset, which seems to be a diversifier, very different from everything else. Uh, and people have made a lot of money into it, in it. But when we think about how we'd actually put a cryptocurrency in a portfolio, uh, there are really sort of three things we need to think about. One of them is what's the expected return. The second thing is how volatile is this asset? And the third thing is how is this asset correlated with all the other assets in a portfolio? Uh, because you don't want a lot of volatility because you've only got a certain amount of risk budget, so to speak. And if you, you have a huge amount of volatility, then you can't take other risks elsewhere. And the problem is that uh, that cryptocurrencies or, or Bitcoin in particular is extremely volatile. And so only a small adding a, only a small dose of cryptocurrency to a portfolio can add significantly to portfolio volatility. Now, that could be mitigated. Um, if it, if Bitcoin happened to zag when a lot of assets zig, so you can actually diversify it. If, if so, if you find negative correlations with, you know, when when stocks go down, Bitcoin goes up, or when bonds go down, Bitcoin goes up. If you could, if you could establish those correlations, then you could use it to reduce overall portfolio volatility, even if the asset itself is volatile. But we don't have stability in that. We have not. Of course, Bitcoin's very. Uh, young asset cryptocurrencies in general are, but we have not established any reliable correlations of, well, this is how uh, cryptocurrencies react to changes in, in the price of other assets. And so what you end up with is a lot of volatility and not much that you can sort of count on in terms of correlations, which might reduce volatility in an overall portfolio. And that means that you have to have very high expected return to make this make sense from a risk return perspective. And when it comes to expected returns, again, it's very, very hard to model this. It's not, you know, there, if, you, if you have a stock, at least you've got a, a flow of earnings or flow of cash flows. If you've got a bond, you've got a flow of coupons. With Bitcoin, it's really whatever the next person is going to pay you for it. Um, and because of that, it's very hard to figure out expected return. And so, as a very practical thing, that makes it very hard to recommend, yes, we should put Bitcoin in a portfolio because it just doesn't behave. Uh, we can't measure the things that might make it good as a overall portfolio asset. Mm, very interesting. Um, so some proponents of crypto inclusion in diversified portfolios say investors could benefit from adding a very small allocation to crypto, say 1% to 2%, to get access to the asymmetrical risk return profile that it offers. Do you see a benefit of this approach for the crypto curious? Um, for those who would put 1% or 2% of their portfolio in lottery tickets, I would say yes, uh, because that is also a very asymmetrical risk and return. You are highly likely to lose all your money, but you might do very well. Um, I sort of see the same thing. There's, there's, uh, there might be some upside, but it's, uh, you know, it probably won't work out too well in the long run for a lot of investors. Uh, so, no, I mean, I, I sort of divide financial activities into those things which are fun and those things which are kind of important. And I think when you're talking about a portfolio that you put together to fund your retirement, your lifestyle and so forth, that's a serious business. And I don't think you should be putting in your, your sort of, uh, I don't think any bets you make in the racetrack should be in there. I don't think any bets on lottery tickets should be in there. And I don't think any bets on cryptocurrencies should be in there either. So if, if you don't like it for the reasons we've talked about as a portfolio asset, I think the appropriate allocation is zero. Mm. Yeah. 
Very valid. Um, and to your point on how cryptocurrencies are very highly volatile assets, you know, one fear is that as crypto grows even bigger, could the volatility in crypto assets trigger risk to global financial stability, similar to what we've seen with the tech and housing bubbles? Um, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think uh, we've obviously seen great growth in the value of cryptocurrencies over time, um, but they are, they're still... Um, you know, relatively small in terms of the overall size of global financial assets. I mean, if it, just to put it in context, uh, the total value of all um, U.S. assets right now, or the assets held by households, are about $145 trillion. And the total value of cryptocurrencies around the world aren't even uh, much more than $1 trillion, or about $1 trillion. So it's it's still small. It's much smaller than the size of, say, the U.S. housing market. Um, it is held by a small group of people, so it would hurt them if it goes under, but it's not as linked to the overall economy uh, or to financial markets as, say, mortgage-backed securities were. And then when you think about the economy itself, um, you know, one of the reasons the tech bubble back in 2000, one of the reasons that had such economic impacts is because real companies were investing real money in uh, building Financial networks, building financial, or oh, sorry, um, te technological networks and, and assets. Uh, there's a lot of business investment spending which was tied to technology. And when that, when the technology stocks went belly up, a lot of the demand for those investments went down. I don't really see the same thing with, with uh, Bitcoin. So um, I don't think right now that is a risk. I think in the long run, it's something to to watch if it if it grew exponentially from here, then it could become a systematic threat to the global economy. But I don't think it's in that position right now. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So another issue with crypto pertains to ESG concerns, and most notably with Bitcoin's energy-intensive mining process. Uh, could you explain these issues a bit more? Well, yes. One of the problems is, is you need, um, in order to verify transactions and to make sure nobody's cheating, uh, you have to pay a price to get hold of Bitcoin and and essentially participate in the verification of transactions. And that goes through a process called uh, mining or Bitcoin mining. The problem is that that turns out to be incredibly energy intensive. Uh, you have to solve these algorithms and there's nothing clever about the algorithms. It just uses vast quantities of computing power, which uses vast quantities of electricity. And so uh, we've seen uh, you know, uh, total energy consumption uh, from mining Bitcoin approximate the the, the energy consumption or the electricity consumption uh, of small countries, uh, which is kind of crazy if you, if you think about it. I mean, all you're doing is verifying the value of an asset, which is not really used as a currency anywhere. Um, so I think that's one of, one of the issues, clearly, is just the amount of electricity used for that. And I think from a greenhouse gas perspective, that that's, a, that's an issue. Uh, that could be dealt with to some extent, but as you as you come as you come up with different solutions, um, you don't have to use as much resources to sort of prove your um, your stake or or to verify a transaction. You lose something in terms of the uh, incentive for everybody to play within the rules when it comes to, uh, to cryptocurrency. So, so there's one issue there, and I think that's a sol that's an issue that can be solved, but it's there right now uh, for Bitcoin. But there are other issues. I mean, there's the the whole issue of inequality. Wealth already is much more unequally distributed across society than income. Uh, the top 10% of U.S. households 
have about 50% of the income, but 75% of the wealth. So far as we could tell, and of course, it, uh, much of this stuff is anonymous, so it's it's hard to know exactly, but it seems like crypto wealth is even more concentrated than other kinds of wealth. Um, and so if crypto goes up in value, then the average person is not going to make anything out of this. It's it's the very rich or those who've got a big stake in crypto who make out. Moreover, it's not the result of anything except the good luck in getting in early, because you know it's not that they are producing something useful for society um, or that they did produce something useful for society. It's not... Um, you know, the result of their current activity. It's simply a lottery in which they get um, a big share of the rewards. Um, so I think it makes inequality somewhat worse and it's somewhat hard to um, to tax this. And then in, in terms of governance, of course, a lot of people will use different kinds of cryptocurrencies to try to avoid working through the banking system. Now, why would you not want to work through the banking system? Because you are involved in some illegal activity or laundering money or getting paid for um, getting paid for illegal transactions. So, I get I'm very skeptical of um, attempts to try to uh, get past regulators. Um, now, I will say that 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 in in some governance issues, maybe crypto does highlight over governance in some areas, um, where frankly the regulations are too complex and should be made uh, simpler and more streamlined. So it may serve a purpose in that. Uh, but overall, I think that it it really enables um, and um, can help the financing of uh, illegal activities and money laundering. And uh, therefore, it kind of fails on the governance um, side also. So, you know, as currently constituted, and I know people in the crypto world are trying to fix some of these things, but as currently constituted, I would say it's almost the anti-ESG. It harms the environment, it increases inequality, uh, and co- you know, re-raises a lot of red flags when it comes to governance. El Salvador just recently became the first country in the world to recognize Bitcoin as legal tender. Salvadorians can now load Bitcoins onto digital wallets and use it to pay for goods and services. And importantly for Salvadorians, they can get away from the large fees paid on cash remittances, which make up a large percent of their GDP. What might the world learn from this experiment? Well, uh, nothing terribly positive because, of course, again, it's not really a very useful currency. So, even if everybody in El Salvador to start with had an allocation of Bitcoin or could get hold of Bitcoin, once they're actually using Bitcoin, um, if it doubles in price in the United States overnight or or falls by ten percent, I mean, suppose you're suppose you're you're getting paid in Bitcoin, that's your weekly salary, and suddenly you discover that it's uh, everything is ten percent more expensive, or or your 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 salary went up by ten percent or went down by ten percent because of a, an overnight move in Bitcoin. That's a little disturbing. Uh, I think to make something legal tender, um, to make it really affect the economy, everybody has to accept it. And a lot of people will not be set up in a particular country like El Salvador to actually accept Bitcoin as payment for services. But to be honest, the the other thing I'd say, and this is true for a number of countries, is the US dollar can be used. If if, if people don't trust your own currency, the US dollar is a perfectly acceptable way to try to, to, to... run transactions. And a lot of countries where the government has so mismanaged the economy um, that the currency, the domestic currency is not trusted, a a very good substitute would be the US dollar, or for that matter, the euro or the yen would be also fine, because you know exactly how much those are going to go up and down in value, even if you have a collapse in the domestic currency. So I would say that, that something, any cryptocurrency would be dominated by, by 
the currencies of big countries, and particularly the US dollar, it would make much more sense to use those currencies rather than cryptocurrencies if, if you don't have a domestic currency that people trust. That makes sense. Um, and so shifting gears a bit, the you know, China has intensified a crackdown on cryptocurrencies over the summer. And, um, you know, a few months ago, they announced a blanket ban on all crypto transactions in mining. Do you think other countries will follow this trend towards enhanced regulation and oversight on crypto? Do you think that's a significant threat to the, um, the movement and um, acceleration of, of cryptocurrencies? Uh, particularly for um, environmental and governance reasons. Uh, first of all, no country would want a large chunk of its electricity production siphoned off to mine Bitcoin. Um, and uh, so I can understand why authorities would want to outlaw that. Uh, because, you know, every, you know, people say, well, we can use off-peak electricity, but something else could use off-peak electricity. Um, it, it does have a negative environmental impact. That's one good reason, but the other big reason, and probably bigger in the minds of governance of governments, is every sovereign government has the opportunity by issuing its own currency to to essentially establish a um, what what we call seniorage or or a rent from the, from the public. It's of great benefit to the Federal Reserve and to the U.S. government that people will use U.S. dollars as a currency here, um, and that allows the government to have an impact in regulating the overall economy. And you don't want to you don't want to give that up, and you particularly don't want to give it up to a private um, currency, which may uh, you know facilitate lots of transactions, which basically undermine and go around your regulations. So um, I think central banks in general are hostile to cryptocurrencies, and I think you will see more regulation coming out of Europe and the United States and, and other countries, not just out of China. Thanks, David. So finally, for many of the points discussed today, you would not advise investors to include crypto in a sophisticated investment portfolio. But what are some of the upsides to the crypto revolution? Well, yes. I mean, I, th I think within, within reason we are. Uh, first of all, I think blockchain technology itself is a, a nice, useful breakthrough in having using decentralized ledgers. I think there is, is maybe a more efficient way of keeping track of, the, of complex supply issues. Um, and certainly, um, you know, that, that is a useful thing and is being used and, and I think will increasingly be used um, in various parts of the economy. So I think that's one positive. I think a second positive is that by, by pointing out the problems of excessive regulation in certain areas uh, or by exploiting the problems caused by excessive regulation in certain areas, um, these cryptocurrencies are forcing central banks to really think about, well, how do they regulate something? And if you, want, for example, if I want to send money overseas, I get it that you've got to do some re regulatory scrutiny to make sure that, that nothing terrible or illegal or against national security interests is occurring, but you, you might as well do it quickly. Um, and equally, I think uh, the, the days of paper currency are long gone. Um, so I think the idea of having more and more flexible um, electronic money is, is again also being pushed. So you can see central banks reacting. Yes, they're reacting by trying to crack down on cryptocurrencies, but they're also reacting by modernizing their networks, trying to come up with electronic currencies themselves or electronic equivalents to paper currencies. And I think that's all a good thing. And, and then the last thing I'd say is, you know, you don't want to, even if cryptocurrencies as, as currently constituted don't look very suitable as currencies, 
you don't want to stomp too much on the innovation or any innovation because in the end, you know, human history is full of examples of, you know, lots of bad ideas and then suddenly one of them clicks and it's a great idea. And, you know, some aspect of this may turn out to be a great idea and we probably can't tell what, which part of it. So I like the idea of people just trying new things, um, perhaps getting excited about new things. Um, there are, you know, I think there are real limitations in, to cryptocurrencies as currently constituted, but you don't want to squash the innovation that led to their creation in the first place. Well, thank you for joining me, David. This was a very insightful conversation on such a hot topic issue. And thank you all for listening. Please tune into our next episode, where David Kelly will be joined by David Lebovitz, Global Market Strategist at JP Morgan Asset Management, for a discussion on the opportunities and alternatives in an environment with sustainably higher inflation. And until then, I invite you to download the JP Morgan Insights app for iPhone and iPad, which is another way to access this podcast and all of our timely insights on the markets and economy just at your fingertips. This content is intended for information only based on assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change. No warranty of accuracy is given. This content does not contain sufficient information to support investment decisions. It is not to be construed as research, legal, regulatory, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Investments involve risks. Investors should seek professional advice or make an independent evaluation before investing. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate including loss of capital. Past performance and yield are not indicative of current or future results. Forecasts and estimates may or may not come to pass.